worthy, isn't he? He is worthy of our praise. Thank God. Thank God. Lord, we want to just say it just a moment. just want to bow my head before you and just humble myself as a... That's why we bow our heads. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of dependence on God. And we just want to say, Lord, that we love you and we need you and we want you. I just want to pray now that the Holy Spirit will come in a very special way. You just reach each one of us in this room. I want you to just as best as you're able, just open your heart to God today. Yield your life to Him. Let Christ be first. Let Him mold you. Let Him shape you. He's the potter. And you're like a piece of clay. Welcome, Lord, today. Just give God the right to have His way in your life. Just tell Him right now, say, Lord, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to have a struggle over the will of God. I want to have a desire for it. For many of you, you need to, you need to tell the Lord that you're tired of the struggle with the world. You need to ask Him to help you let go of the things of this world that are holding you back in your spiritual life. For some of us, there's people that keep pulling you back. You come to God, you walk with God, and those old friends, those old acquaintances pull you back. Let today be a day where you settle it in your heart, Jesus. I want you to be first. And if I've got to choose between a friend and you, I'm choosing you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, would you just strengthen your people today with supernatural strength, with courage, with confidence, with boldness. Lord, would you just let our anxieties and fears melt like wax in your presence. is amazing, isn't he? Give your neighbor a high five. Tell him it's good to see you this morning. Come on, give him a high five. Tell him it's good to see you today. Glad you're here. Turn your Bibles this morning to John's Gospel, John chapter 11. Sure glad you're here this morning. John chapter 11, as you're making your way there, I really want to emphasize to you and encourage you, open a door and opportunity for you to get connected in the life of our church 
take some time and look at this ministry guide. There's probably 40, 50 different places for adults to be able to connect, groups, classes, you know, where you might find your way in the life of our church. Uh, take, take, some, take this Inside Look book home with you. If you'll spend 20 minutes in it, you'll learn everything about who Church on the Rock is and what we value and what's important to us. John chapter 11 is where we're going this morning. I've been doing a series the last couple of weeks called Encounter. It's been about worship. It's been a series about the presence of God, the reality of God in our life. Uh, it's about an understanding that our worship, our corporate worship, what we've done for, what, probably 30, 45 minutes today, much of this morning, is worshiping the one who is worthy of our praise, expressing our love to God. We, last week, we talked about the different love languages of worship. We learned that worship is an opportunity to express our love to God. We likened it to the love languages that we all share. There's five, and it's pretty familiar in America today. The love languages, for example, when you want to say I love you to someone, you say it with words, you say it with physical touch, you say it with the giving of gifts. There are different ways that we tell other people that we love them and value them. Well, how many know God has love languages? He has love languages for worship. He has ways that we can say it and show it. We can say that we love God through what we've been doing by singing, by singing in the Spirit. We learned this last week by, by a, a shouting at appropriate times to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember the first time I ever heard someone shout in church, and I thought that was a little odd. But the problem is I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know the liberty that could be expressed in joy. Uh, we say, well, we show our in the love languages to God by the lifting of our hands, by the clapping of our hands, by dancing, by bowing, by kneeling. Worship is not just a cerebral experience where we think about God. Worship is a way that we engage God, body, soul, and spirit. Jesus said those that would worship Him should worship Him in spirit and in truth. And how many know that's our desire? But today, let me kind of paint a little broader picture and ask you the question, when should we worship the Lord? When should we praise the Lord? And worship and praise pretty much synonymous in the Scripture. Now, the Bible tells us, uh, first of all, Psalm 31 or 34, verse 1, we should praise the Lord at all the time. Now, think about this, Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, that's interesting, and, and it's speaking about an attitude of our heart here. It's talking about a constant awareness of God. It doesn't mean we quit our jobs and go to a monastery. It doesn't mean we go to church 24-7, but it means in the course of our life, God is not on the shelf, off the shelf. He's not a Sunday God, but He's an everyday, almost every hour God that we're aware of His presence and our heart responds to Him with thanksgiving. Now, clearly, Luke 17, we praise God after He's done something. One of the key things in life today, recently I did a, a radio spot on the, on the radio and suggested that maybe the drought and the economic problems America is having are ways that God is trying to speak to us and get our attention. I found it humorous this morning as I looked on my newspaper front page, the reason we're having a drought is El Nino. So it's clearly explained now, God's not in the loop, everything in the world is naturally explained and we somehow take the wonder away from God's hand that's behind us. I think our world misses something just because God uses natural laws that He set in place in addition to His interventions, God is still vitally involved in this world. Well, but we should praise God after He's done something for us. Luke 17, 15, Jesus had healed several people that had the disease of leprosy. And after he'd healed them, one, verse 15, when he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus. And what does he do? He shouts, and this again, a love language. He's saying, he shouts, praise God. And then what does he do? He 
fell to the ground. Again, a love language, an expression of worship to God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking Him for what He'd done. So here, when God does something in our life, and when we're aware, for example, this week I have, been a, I have a brother in Mississippi that farms, and he and my dad, and they have dry weather just like here, maybe not as bad, but I pray for him. I look at the weather every day. I pray for him that it would rain, and got a little text message from him. He got an inch and a half rain, and my response back to him was, be sure to thank God. Because oftentimes we pray and ask God to do something for us, to help us, to show us something, to fix something. And yet when He does it, we, just, we don't pause to say thank you. Now that's pretty understandable, but this last one is where I'm going this morning in a message called expectation, that we are to praise God before He does something. Before He does something. Now this will open your understanding to your praise. John chapter 11, verse 41, Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus. Remember the story of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, two sisters. Uh, Lazarus was the brother. They were, they were great friends of Jesus. Jesus. They had appealed to Jesus to come and heal Lazarus when he was sick. But lo and behold, he died. And now Jesus is at the tomb, and he says, basically, he's going to raise him from the dead. Uh, the people basically said, uh, he's stinking. Be careful. Well, verse 41, they take away the stone, and look what Jesus did. He lifted up his eyes, and he said, now mind you, we have a dead man and a large crowd of people, and Jesus is in the middle. But here's what he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Before he's raised from the dead, I thank you that you've heard me. And then, lo and behold, you know the story, verse 43, when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, and Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Now, here's what I want you to see today is that Jesus thanked God before the miracle happened. Now, there's a message in this today because it's not an isolated verse. You remember when Jesus fed the multitudes of people, thousands of hungry people. Jesus has some bread and fish, and what does he do? He takes the loaves in his hand, he blesses them, and he thanks God for God's provision. And lo and behold, somehow multiplication supernaturally takes place. You can't blame it on El Nino or El Nino or anybody else. The intervention, the manifest presence of God. But Jesus is blessing God. He's worshiping the Father before it happens. How about the walls of Jericho? Mind you, we've got a walled city. The enemy's on the inside. They can't get through. And what does the Scripture say to do? That they were told to shout to these walls, and their shout was before the walls fell. You know, archaeologists have found the walls of Jericho. These walls were so wide, literally two chariots could ride across the top of these walls. And these walls didn't fall out. They didn't fall this way. They just collapsed to the ground, and Israel came in. But the key thing is that their shout of praise to God was before the miracle happened. And that's what I want to provoke you with this morning, that your faith can grow deeper in life as you begin to express praise to God before something happens than it actually does. And I'm, I'm, I, it's interesting how we pray, but sometimes we really don't believe. Yesterday, we, we have we prayer with our pastors and elders before our, our services. And last night before the service, one of our pastors prayed for rain. And no sooner than he'd left the building, I, I could hear it on the tin roof. And then I went out in the hall, and, and I'm not going to tell you who it was, but somebody said, I can't believe it. It's raining. Now, stop just a second. I can't believe it. It's raining. I can't believe it. I got a job. I, I can't believe it. My kids got saved. I can't believe it. I graduated. Well, why can't we believe it? See, our words betray us. Out of the abundance of the heart, 
Yeah. So, so what I'm trying to do is to help us have an expectation and an anticipation that God will do what He promised to do. Come on, not a pie in the sky, not just because I may want something, but that I have expectation and faith, and I praise Him before the miracle comes, not just after it comes. Come on, give Him a hand this morning. This will help you this morning. We're going to explore this through an Old Testament passage. I want you to look at 2 Chronicles, an Old Testament passage, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, about a man named King Jehoshaphat. If you're looking for a name for your child, I would not name him King Jehoshaphat. But anyway, that was his name. And he literally praised his way to victory. Now, as we look at this passage, it's, uh, I want you to see it's the story of a godly man in the 19th chapter, what he had done is brought reform, reformation, back to the nation of Israel, which simply means the nation was messed up and he started to fix it, get it on the right track. Well, how many know when you do something right for God or good for the Lord, how many know the devil may be right there to stump you? He may be right there to hinder you, to get in your face. Well, that's exactly what hap- is what's happening here. Uh, King Jehoshaphat, and what I want you to do this morning as we look at this, let's not look at it just as a history lesson from the past. But let's look at this passage of how it applies to you and I. Let's look at this passage about how we relate to God, because what we're going to see is first they had a problem, and in the midst of their problem, it's pretty, pretty key what they did. The first thing they did was not look to themselves to help, but they looked to God. And after they looked to God, lo and behold, God did what He promised to do for them and us. He spoke to them to tell them what to do. And then it's amazing after that, you're going to see three different times that these people are praising and worshiping in route to their answer coming. Okay, so there's some great things to learn here. Let's look first in verse 2. Messengers came and they told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. Now, that may not sound much with a cursory reading, but basically what we've got going on here, some translations say an innumerable army. I mean, I- imagine some of the pictures that you've seen of battles, you know, Braveheart or, or some movie with Roman legions, you know, Gladiator, and, and, and these movies where these huge throngs and throngs of people as far as the eyes can see. Well, it eclipses that. It is beyond comprehension, your ability to count. Well, lo and behold, this group of soldiers are 15 hours away. And here's what I want to ask you. What would you do, or what do you do, when you're facing innumerable odds, a problem that is bigger than you can handle? You don't have enough money. You don't have enough credit. Uh, The doctors are not smart enough, wise enough. Come on, there's not enough lawyers that can help you with your mess. You are in a dilemma, and the problem is 15 hours away, and it's getting closer every minute. It's one thing when the problem is just out there and hanging. It's another thing when every moment of time it gets closer and closer and closer, knowing that its intent is to destroy you. Well, now that's the context, and let's explore it and see what they did. Verse 6, the first thing he did is he looked to God for help. He prayed, O Lord God. Now, this is real key. When you have a problem, let's say it's a financial problem, is the first thing you do is go to your computer or, or access your bank and see how much money you've got? I mean, that's what we typically do. When a bill is due, or, or for example, maybe when uh, you want to go on vacation or you want to do something special, oftentimes the first thing we do is to look to ourselves. Now, I'm not telling you to ignore the bank account, but I'm saying don't look to it first because there's limitation that surrounds you. Your wisest professional is limited. The, the strongest politician, the most influential politician has limits and boundaries. But how many know God is limitless and God doesn't have boundaries? And this is real, real key to solving the problem is not just looking at the problem and not just trying to figure it out, but looking to God. And notice how he prayed. This prayer is worth a whole message in itself. Usually when I'm in trouble, my my human tendency is to pray is, Lord, please help me. 
And if I'm not careful, I can spend an inordinate amount of time telling God what he already knows. God, do you know how much money I have in my bank account? And do you know what this bill is? And do you know what that means? And, and do you know this? And do you know the kids are going to school? And do you know we've got... There's a different way to pray. He prayed, O oh Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Now that's a different way to pray. Is his declaration was not just you know, something to make him feel better, but it was a declaration of the revelation of who God is. And as you look in the Scripture, if I can say it this way, as you allow God to be as big as He really is, your problem will get smaller and smaller. But if you allow yourself to focus on the problem, God's power gets smaller in your life. Now, notice verse 7. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? So well, what does that mean? He's remembering what God has done before. Now listen, this is big. Because the problem you face today is not the first problem of your life. The things that are going to come up this week is not the first time you've had to face something big. And one of the best things you can do is before you face your problem is to look back at what God has done, come on, over the last days, weeks, months, years, decades of your life. And when you begin to see that and declare who God is, guess what? God is getting bigger all the time. And you are rightly seeing things rather than being influenced by the news in the world that's around you. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 9. And notice he's not asked a petition yet. He's not begged God. He's not told God anything about the problem. In verse 8, he said, Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. Now, mind you, they're in Jerusalem. They're at Solomon's temple. And, and it was dedicated by Solomon. And God made this promise, verse 9. He told the people, Whenever you're faced with any calamity, war, plague, or famine, and we can come to stand in your presence before this temple, we can cry out to you and save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Now, this is a promise that God made, you read it, in, the, in Solomon when they dedicated the temple, that if they were facing a crisis, that they could come and call on God and He would hear and answer their prayer. And what they did is they based their prayer on what God had promised them. Now, this is huge. I'm not talking about just believing for a bigger this and a new that and, you know, all the things in life that aren't bad, but sometimes we want God and just kind of twist His arm and try to get Him just to do something. I'm saying get in sync with the Holy Spirit. Know what God's called you to do. If God called you to live in Texarkana, He's going to take care of you. If He called you to start a business somewhere, He'll take care of you. He'll provide for you. If He started you to go to school and He put you there, He's going to provide the funds somehow, some way. Come on, say praise the Lord this morning. Well, so, so now He's talking about the promises of God. And then let's look at the next one. Uh, let's see, verse, verse 10. And now His petition now see what the armies are doing, verse 12. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? Now, that's the first time he's asked God to do something. Won't you stop them? Four words, five words without the contraction. Will you not stop them, God? And lo and behold, that was the extent of their petition. And then he goes on to say this, and this is powerful. He says, we are powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. Now, in the natural, they were not, to they, if I can say it this way, they were not powerless, but they were. They had an army, they had a walled city, they had strategy, they had experience, but what he recognized is, I can't do anything without God. What he recognized is, all my strength, all my energy, all my resources, all my abilities, they're nothing without God. 
So he came to God in humility. Humility is simply dependence on God. And he came in total dependence, say, God, I'm looking to you. So this is the way that he prayed. Now, God speaks, verse 14. And there's confidence that just as God spoke to them, God will speak to you. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel. That's another name I wouldn't name my child. Verse 15, he said, listen, this is what the Lord says. You know what? You need to hear this is what the Lord says for your problem. Because God is a speaking God. It can be a rhema in the Scripture. It can be a dream. It can be a personal prophetic word. It can just be a sense of peace as you wrestle with the issues and what might be before you. But God is a speaking God. And when the Lord speaks, and the Lord said, Don't be afraid, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I mean, no, that's good news. Could we even say this? My future financial provision is not my responsibility, but it's God's. Oh, so I don't have to work? I didn't say that. You've got your part, but God has His part. And how many know, if I'll just cooperate and do what I'm supposed to do, Matthew 6, 33, 6, He first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, food, shelter, clothing, they'll be added to you. Tomorrow, verse 16, march out against them, but you will not even need to fight. You take your positions and stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Now, this is pretty incredible. How in the world do you defeat an army without firing a shot? Come on, a little military strategy here. I mean, how are you going to win a battle? How are you going to get rid of Gaddafi? Or how are you going to get rid of, you know, the Ayatollahs in Iran who want to destroy the world? How can you do that unless you launch a, a preemptive strike? Unless you do something that's very deliberate to try to take them out? Well, God says, listen, this time I'll take care of it. Now, as you look through the pages of Israel's, Israel's history, sometimes they would have to fight and it would be bloody. But sometimes God would do it totally on His own, come on, without their help. And this happens to be one of those times. So please don't understand me to say, if you're in business, that you don't have to hustle, and you don't have to borrow, and you don't have to talk to people, and all these things. But listen, ultimately the battle is the Lord's. Now, there's a promise that God will speak to you. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer you. That's as real a promise as John 3.16. The Message Bible says, I'm going to tell you marvelous and wondrous things that you couldn't figure out on your own. Well, here's an old, a New Testament. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him... And what's going to happen? It doesn't say it might. It said, it will be given to you. But then he goes on to say, but ask in faith, nothing doubting, because the doubting man is unstable, double-minded in all of his ways. So here's the deal, friends. God will speak to you if you'll take the time to listen. And when you know what his will is, when there's a settled peace, when you've gotten godly counsel, then you can set yourself firm that God is going to do what he promised to do in my life. But the challenge is, am I willing to take the time to listen to God? Am I willing to get up early and spend some God time? Am I willing to maybe come to the church and just take a couple hours and just lay on the, before the altar and put on some worship music and say, God, what do you want me to do? do I, am I willing to turn the TV off at night and maybe just take a long walk through the neighborhood and look at the stars and the glory of God until God speaks to me? Because I can tell you, God will speak to you. And when He speaks to you, listen, how are you going to respond? Now, here's where it gets interesting, because the rest of this story is about them praising their way to victory. Three different times you're going to see that worship comes into play. Now, look at verse 18. Then, that is, after this prophetic word, what did King Jehoshaphat do? He 
bowed low to the ground. What is that? That's the way that you say, I love you, I trust you, I believe you. But not only him, all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same. And what was it? Worship to God. So listen, how many know if they can bow as a large group, how many know you can bow in a worship service? You know, and you don't have to draw attention to yourself. Just right where you are, you can just slip to your knees and just come on, throw up your heart to heaven and your eyes as a way to honor and adore God. It was kind of a prelude to what was coming. And look at verse 19. Then the Levites, those were the assistants to the priests, they stood, one more, language of worship. They stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a, a very loud shout. Now, who knows what they shouted. It could have been, thank you, Jesus. It could have been, victory's coming. It could have been, hallelujah. But it was something. These words were a container for worship. And that's why they wanted to say it. And here's what I want you to see this evening, all the, or this morning. All this is happening before the answer comes. See, we don't just praise God after the answer comes. Hear me now. We praise God before the answer comes. Now, let's keep going. Verse 21. They're praising God before the answer. Now, this is one of those kind of bizarre things in the Bible. You know, like a whale swallowing Jonah or Peter going to the, the ocean, catching a fish and finding gold in its mouth. How many believe that really happened? Well, sometimes we read those things and we just kind of zoom over it. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Does that strike you as odd? It's not a trick question. They're going out to battle, and in the morning they get up early, and all the archers get their arrows, and all the guys with swords, you hear it clanging, they're putting their sword in its sheath, they're putting their armor on, they're picking up sticks for slingshots or, or stones, but yet, while all that's going on, they're calling forth the singers, and they put them in front of the army. Now, I don't know what the singers thought. See, sometimes someone else gets revelation, and it's a little hard for me to lay hold of it. What would you do? Typically in a marriage, uh, one person is a little stingier, one person a little more generous. Well, whoever the generous person is, what would happen if, let's say, you're getting ready for your big dream vacation and your spouse comes up to you and says, Honey, I think we're supposed to uh, help the missionaries in Haiti with this money and just believe God to take care of us. What would you say? Get behind me, Satan. Come on. I know you. I can tell by the look on your face. And I'm not asking you for anything. I mean, it's almost whenever you say money, there's this wall that comes up. Because it's an idol in America. And it's been a source that may be drying up. Come on. But how many know God's source is not going to dry up? Well, well, faith, faith needs to emerge in the situation. Well, we've got singers in front of it. And notice they're singing to the Lord, praising Him for His holy splendor. Nothing has happened yet. I can guarantee at this time they know where the enemy is. They can probably see the enemy. It's likely that there's dust coming from the ground. This is an innumerable host of people. So you're walking, and you're out front just singing a worship song to God. Notice what happens. They sang, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Now, verse 22 is incredible. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. And when the army of Judah arrived, they were all they saw were dead bodies. Now, when did these armies start attacking each other? When they began to praise. I'm telling you, there's something about praising God before the answer comes. 
Now, I don't know how God did this, but imagine you've got different tribes, Ammonites, Moabites, that they had aligned themselves together. Well, let's say they're marching along, and one of the soldiers looks at the other one and said, Man, you got the biggest, ugliest feet I ever saw. And that guy just stopped and went, What'd you say? And then maybe he made a mama joke or something. I don't know what he did. But before you knew it, instead of looking at Israel, he pulls out the sword and said, And he sticks him. This is what the Bible says. They killed each other. And then the other one kills him. And before you know it, these people are killing one another. And Israel gets over there and they're all dead. Now, how did that happen? It's not just because they sang a song when they were in trouble. It happened when trouble came. They first began to look to the Lord. Their prayers were a faith-filled prayer, remembering what God had done in the past. Come on. What God had promised to do in the future. They spent a little time in petition, and then they thanked God as they went forwards. God showed them what to do, and they began to do it, and their part was to praise the Lord. And I'm telling you, your part is to praise the Lord for His goodness before the answer comes. When you've got a hold of what God wants for you, you can have a confidence that God will be there. Now, that's the second time when praise comes to bear. But there's another one, verse 27. After not only the enemy's been destroyed, and they, you know, they've got all this uh, loot and all the stuff that they left behind. Look at verse 27. They're coming back to Jerusalem. They return every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. Notice this. For the Lord had made them Now, isn't that amazing how praise is somehow joined to their victory? Is it just possible you can praise your way out of victory? Is it just possible that you could praise your way, come on, through the challenges that are before you this week and in the future? Is it just, sure, it's possible. For the Lord made them rejoice over their enemies. Then came Jerusalem. They came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets, all these instruments to say to God, we love you, and they came to the house of the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Pretty powerful. So three different times, worship began to be the language that love was expressed I'm going to close with this scripture, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. Now, next week we're going to continue this series, but likely I'm going to talk about praising God in life's darkest moments. Now, how many know oftentimes we praise God? They're praising God now because the problem, you know, it, they hadn't been destroyed yet. The army hadn't been there. Uh, everything is going to go well, and we see victory came. But sometimes in life, listen, a prayer is not going to be answered. Sometimes something devastating may happen. Then what will you do? We'll begin with Job next week, and you'll see in Job's life, when everything he had was taken, devastation had fallen upon his life. The Bible says he fell to the ground and he worshipped. Now, that's at a deeper level, friends, but it, it, worship helps you stay connected to God, come on, in life's darkest hour. When you're facing challenges, it's not a time to throw God away. It's a time to draw near, because the Bible promises if we draw near to God, God's going to draw near to us. You bring a friend next week, and I think we'll minister. Uh, Isaiah 54, verse 1. Let me close with this one. It's a pretty powerful scripture. Now, often when the Bible speaks, particularly in the prophetic books, it uses metaphors. It uses, it, it uses pictures and images uh, of something in the natural to convey a spiritual truth. And here, Israel is in exile and portrayed as a barren woman. 
You know, of course, after several hundred years of sin, God literally put them in captivity. They left their homeland. They had to go and they were slaves in another territory. And that's when this verse is speaking about. To these slaves in another territory, they're pictured as a barren woman that has hope for restoration. And notice what it says in verse 1. It says, say it with me. Sing, come on, say it. Sing, barren woman who has never had a baby. Now, the barren women that I know, listen, they're looking for in vitro, nothing wrong with that. They're looking for a miracle. They're angry. They're hurt. They're longing. They're never going to be happy until they get pregnant. And God is looking into that hopeless situation. See, today's world has taught us to believe that, you know, kids are a problem. You don't need very many. In the biblical era, listen, the more you had, the better, the better life was. They were, you know, there was a blessing of the Lord. You know, large families were, were, were pictures of God's favor and kindness and His blessing in your life. So no one wanted to be barren, but yet godly women were barren. Hannah was barren because God had something through Samuel. He was waiting for her to give it up. John the Baptist's parents were barren till they were in their 60s, past the ability to have children, but they were waiting, come on, for the timing of God. But they continued to live righteous and blameless lives as they waited. But every barren woman wants a baby. And what God said to the barren woman, Sing, O barren woman. Put the scripture back up for me, please. Sing, O barren woman. Sing, O barren woman. Fill the air with song, you who've never experienced childbirth. You're ending up with far more children than all those childbearing women. God says so. So, here's my message to you. Maybe you need to start singing over your business if you're in trouble. Maybe you need to start singing over your family if it's in trouble. Maybe you need to start singing over the doctor's report that's before you. See, maybe you need to, in the middle of the maybe you need to sing after you watch the news. Because it looks like everywhere there's trouble, but I'm telling you this morning, God is bigger than your troubles. Now, now singing clearly is words, it's worship music, but listen, it's a picture of worshiping in the troubles before your answer comes. Listen, maybe you got a child that's away from God. I, I, I've been very fortunate. God has been kind to us. Our, our, our kids, I, I've always known where my kids were. I've never had a 4.30 in the morning go in the kids' room and them not be there. I know a lot of you have. But what do you do at 4.30 in the morning? You either get in there and you just, you know, you weep and cry because your son's going to be a drug addict and waste his life and woe, woe is me. Or you just pick up his pillow and hold it to your breath and begin to praise God because he's who begun the good work and this child's going to bring it to completion. And you just walk around the room, come on, praising God and blessing God that this child is coming back home, this child is going to be in church, this child is going to serve the Lord and give me godly grandchildren when they're out on the street, come on, doing drugs. What is that? It's singing barren woman. It is the business person that could be out of business or need another start or gone through bankruptcy. Singing over, come on, the paperwork after the lawyer's given it to you. I'm just telling you, it's the language of faith and it gets God's attention. There's something powerful about praising God before your answer comes. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. I'm telling you, it's real. I close with this little story and, and, and then we'll pray. We, we, by the way, we'd be honored to pray with anyone today. I mean, anything that's going on in your world doesn't have to relate to the message, but listen, there's power when people pray. And I'm going to encourage you, don't disconnect on me just yet. If there's something in your life that needs to be addressed and touched, someone will pray for you this morning. Let me tell you a little story. Uh, several, about five years ago, we bought a home out in Redwater. We kind of, that's where we wanted our kids to go to school. Found this little house that had 
kind of a little secluded feel. And Well, anyway, before the house closed, I come to find out just a couple days before that, that the road was a private road, which means that members on the street had to, had to pay to keep it paved. Well, how many know you're two days away from closing and you've already emotionally bought into the thing and it's got emotion, and so we said, well, it'll take care of itself. I'm going to tell you what, I think I have the worst road in Bowie County. I'm just telling Pothole City. How many have ever been on my road? Yeah, well, okay. It's worse than since you, the last time you came. Five years. In your, in, in your natural mind, you think, well, why did God do this? Why am I stuck out here? Because the neighbors wouldn't come up with the money. And the, the county couldn't do it because it was a private road. And we tried several times, come on, to get raise money, nothing happening. We're just banging up tires, you know, and just you, you just feel good about the day until you get on your raggedy road. You know what I'm talking about? And you just say, why did this happen? Well, lo and behold, one of my neighbors who I started witnessing to was away from God. And after we'd lived there a couple years, this neighbor just drives up to my house on a Monday on my day off, and he just asked me. He knew I was a pastor. I'd invited him to church. He said, I need to get right with God. Will you pray for me? And when he left, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, that's why you're out here. It's not, it's not just for your comfort and for your pleasure on a smooth road. Now listen, sometimes we think we're supposed to have smooth and everything is perfect because we're a believer. But sometimes God's put you in the middle of it. So he comes to Christ. Now, let me tell you what I do. For five years, every time I turn off 1214 onto my road, I'm looking ahead at this string of potholes. And here's what I say. Thank you, Lord, for paving my road. Now, you'd think I was crazy, but I was singing over my road. Cursing out the other side of the mouth sometimes, but you know what I'm talking about? But singing over my road. Well, I'm here to tell you today, we've already collected 90% of the money this go-around, and we're pretty close to being able to pay them. And one day, one day, I'm going to get on that road when the paving machine leaves it, and it's going to be this black strip of asphalt. And I'm going to be thanking God again, praising Him. But this time, I'll be praising Him after the answer comes. But I've been praising Him before the answer comes. So listen, friends, sing, O barren woman. Sing, O barren woman, because your prayers don't fall on dry ground. Praise the Lord. Come on, God's good. We want to have prayer for everyone this morning. But I especially want to ask you that may be here that may not be right with God. You came to this church today, you knew you're not where you're supposed to be in your relationship with Christ. If you're honest with yourself, you may not even know if you'd go to heaven when you die. You hope you would. I want to talk to you just a second because I want to tell you Jesus Christ can change your life. I tried to find happiness a lot of ways. I've not always been a preacher. I was a wild hellion for several years as a teenager. And I kept trying to fill, it's like a bucket was inside my heart. And I'd fill it with things. I'd fill it with relationships. I'd fill it with stuff, with experiences, and education, and ball games, and success. There's like a hole in the bottom of that bucket, and the water would always drain out. What was missing was Jesus Christ. See, because I wasn't created just to live for myself. I was created to have a vital relationship with God. And a man told me what I'm telling you. He told me in early August 1976 that Gideon gave me a Bible and said if I would just dare to put my trust in Christ, if I would believe Him and begin to follow Him, that Jesus would change my life. And I'm telling you, friends, He did. And maybe you're here. Now, I was raised in church. But how many know just because you go to church, that doesn't make you a Christian? And if you're here today and say, Pastor, what you're saying might not resonate with me, I need to get my life right with God. 
For some, it may be the first time you've ever made this step. For others, you're away from God, but today, you've got the courage to say, I want to get my life back in right with God. I want Christ to be the center of my life. We'd like to pray for you this morning. If you're here this morning and I'm talking to you now, and you know that God is drawing you to make a step towards Him, let me just see your hand real quickly. Come on, do it quickly this morning. God bless you, pal. God bless you. Others that are here this morning, I need to get right with God today. Let me see your hands. Let this be your first step this morning. Uh, anyone else this morning? God bless you too, dear. God bless you. Others this morning, I need to get right with God today. I want to put Christ first in my life. Listen, we just want to help you. I want to pray for you. I want to give you something to help you. Anyone else this morning? God bless you. All right, listen, that's what it's about. We're going to have prayer this morning. And in just a second, I'm going to have you stand. And our prayer team is coming. And then you that lifted your hands or a step to Christ, you come. And anyone that wants prayer, come as well. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. And our prayer team is coming to the front. And they're going to be here for you. I want to ask you to stay and sing this song through a time or two. And then you'll be free to be dismissed on your own. But uh, right now, why don't you come for prayer? You that lifted your hand, come on up. You that raised your hand to make a step to Christ, bring your friend with you. She'll come with you. Yeah, just bring your friend with you. She'll come too. And uh, come on up. Anyone else that needs to make a step to Christ, come on up. We'll be happy to help you. We'll meet you right over the cross. God bless you.